Good morning, friends. Good morning. Oh, my goodness, it is so good to be back home. We missed you. We missed you. Um, for those of you that are unaware, we were in Guam, and we returned this Tuesday. And uh, Guam is 17 hours ahead. So right now, it is like 2 a.m. Monday morning in Guam. And so we are still literally shaping, shaking cobwebs out of our head a little bit, trying to get on track. Um, so it is, it is a little bit... Uh, of a wild time. If I say some things that just sound off the wall, just be like, you know what? We'll give him grace. But uh, uh, we, we do want to just say thank you so much for graciously... Oh, fire starters, please head on out. Thank you, guys. I, um, middle schoolers. Grace, there we go. See? What day is this? What's everybody doing here? Isn't it Tuesday? All right. Um, I just want to say, honestly, on behalf of our family, want to thank you so much for your graciously allowing us to have this time away together. This last three weeks was really, truly wonderful. Um, it was a trip that was actually two years in the making. Uh, in 2019, we were planning on going in 2020, so we were looking forward to it for a year. Then 2020 came, and something came up and uh, kind of shut things down. And so then, uh, then we waited another year and were able to go this summer, and it was just a wonderful time. Uh, special for Hosanna to have this time with her family and the boys to be with their grandparents, and I got to tag along, which was nice. And uh, we got to do a lot of fun things. I got to uh, go do some scuba diving. We did snorkeling. There was just amazing beaches. It was pretty great. Everything you'd kind of expect from a beautiful tropical paradise. Um, we got to see historical sites. Uh, Guam was was uh, inhabited by the Chamorro people, and then in the in the 1700s, Spain came in and kind of inhabited the island, and so there are Spanish forts from the early 1800s there that you can go see that were literally used to defend the island from pirates, which was really cool, and then there was, there's World War II history right here on the left, that is a Japanese bunker from World War II, and on the right, that is a, 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 a gun at a beach called Gun Beach, ironically, that's a Japanese gun that was used to defend the beach from when the landings happened in World War II, when the Allies came in and liberated Guam from, from occupation. And uh, they celebrated Liberation Day, actually, while we were there. We got to celebrate there with everybody. It was a lot of fun. It was just an amazing, amazing time. Um, of course, there was beautiful weather and just gorgeous views. It's, it's just an amazing, amazing time. And we got back, and we were jet-lagged, like I said, 17 hours and all this. And you know what the best plan to do when you're jet-lagged and desperately need sleep is the next day is to buy a puppy. And so we got a puppy. I'm not sure what we're thinking. And so, so, I thought having infants was difficult. I take it back. Infants are where you left them. You set them down, they're still there. Puppies start gnawing on electrical cords. So, and you have to clean up the same amount of cleanup afterwards as a puppy and an infant. But uh, we, we had a wonderful time, and it's good to be back. Um, I think on top of it all, my favorite, one of my favorite parts was the food. Oh my goodness. Uh, Guam is in this melting pot. Like, um, like I said, there's the Chamorro people, and there's traditional, traditional Chamorro food, which is amazing. They have, oh my goodness, don't get me started, just amazing food. But then you got the Spanish influence, so there's all this like Spanish influence on the foods. Then you got the Philippines that has a lot of influence in J Japan, and all of this is a melting pot. And they have these things called fiestas, where everybody brings their favorite dishes from all of these cultures, and you eat it all at once. And... Uh, I partook, and it was great, and, uh, and I got home, and a while back, I bought a scale at a thrift store, not realizing it was a smart, literally, I didn't know it was a smart scale, it syncs to your phone, 
And so when you weigh yourself, it keeps track of your weight on your phone. And I'm pretty sure it sent out a notification to everybody and was like, we need to have an intervention for this guy. Um, This is not a joke. Literally on the screen when I got on, it said, please step off. That is not a joke. It literally said that. And I was hurt. I had enough. So anyway. But uh, while, I, while we were gone, we had, we had just continued this incredible series. What an amazing series through the book of Psalms. And we've had some dynamic speakers as, uh, in my absence. You guys were, you had a treat. Pastor Ty brought the word. Oh my goodness. I texted him afterwards. I was like, boom, I came to Christ. I, I was like, that was powerful, man. And then uh, we had Randy Ruiz. How many of you enjoyed Randy Ruiz? As he uh, was here, what a special, special thing. And then Pastor Todd. <sighs> Why'd he retire? That was fantastic. My goodness. I told him, man, so five months off and you bring that. What, what happens if you get any more time off? That was, that was great. So it was wonderful having them speak. What, what a, a, a special thing for our church to have these people that can just pour into us like this. Um, it's something that uh, we can't take for granted. We need to just invest in it and just springboard off of. So um, today we're going to conclude this series in Psalms. I encourage you, church, to read the Psalms. Live in the Psalms. Pray the Psalms, sing the Psalms, meditate on the Psalms. The last three times I've read through the Bible, the three reading plans I've done have included selections from the Old Testament, selections from the New Testament, and then it's a selection from the Psalms. And so by the time I'm done with that time reading through the Bible, I've actually read through the Psalms several times, a couple times in a year. And it just... There's something about poetry and music. I know there's not actual music to this, but we have so many songs that we've written to the Psalms. How many of you have ever read the Psalms and you're like, that's a song. I know that song. Because we put our own melodies to it. And and there's just something that just drenches our soul as we read through it. It, Jesus knew the Psalms. Um, As a matter of fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 26, it tells about how Jesus and his disciples, we just held communion together. After they had their first, first communion ever, It says that they sang a hymn together before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is a 99.999% chance that what they sang was a psalm. That was their songbook. As a matter of of fact, the, the Jewish people, back to antiquity, have this tradition of, at their festivals, at their special events like Passover, would do something called Hallel. And that is where they sing or read or do uh, psalm, the psalms from chapter 113 to 118. And so my feeling is they prob- Jesus and his disciples probably sang some selections from Psalm 113 to 118 and, and had this moment together before Jesus ultimately went and died for us. So we need to just inundate ourselves with the psalms. I, I, I like that most worst modern worship music is really victorious, right? I like feeling good f- with worship music. It's, it uplifts you, it picks you up. Um, but the psalms really covers like the full breadth of the human experience. You've got like the celebration, yes, but then you've got like the deepest levels of lament and sorrow. Um, can you imagine coming to church and the worship leader's like, we're going to sing a song from Psalm 90, everybody. And this is literally what Psalm 90 says right here. It says... All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Have a great day, everybody. But but there's there's a rawness to to these songs, right? There's a vulnerability. Like, there is struggle in the human experience. There's existential turmoil that we go through, and it recognizes this. I'm glad that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat this stuff. Like, everything's happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy. 
But there's times of deep sorrow. But for your sake, fortunately, we're not going to be doing Psalm 90 today. We're doing Psalm 91. We will be ending this series on a victorious note. There's, a, a, there's, there's something that we get to celebrate here. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Psalm chapter 91. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Psalm 91 is actually very closely tied into Psalm 90, the one of lament, and 92. They, both, they all use the same language. You can see that they were tied together. They were meant to kind of exist together. Um, so, so while Psalm 90 kind of groans under the weight of death, Psalm 91 is actually messianic. It, it pr- reveals a picture of Jesus. And so this prayer is a prayer of divine favor for the saints. It's a prayer of, of, of blessing and promise for us. So let's, let's look at it together. Psalm 91. It says this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday a thousand may fall at your side ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone, you will not you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him. And I will show him my salvation. Wow. That's a great psalm. It's a great psalm. It's really in many circles known as the soldier's psalm. Um, Many soldiers have parts of it tattooed on their body, like even in modern times, but because it emphasizes God's protection, especially in times of crisis. So as we look through this chapter, we're actually going to jump around quite a bit because themes are kind of in spots and and they kind of carry over because because this is in prose, you know, prose is like poetry and song. It doesn't have a real order to it. So it's kind of hard to uh, to have a systematic hermeneutic to, to what we're studying here. We can't break it down in a nice, easy order. So we'll jump around a little bit to break this down. But overall, this chapter is spoken from three different voices. The first voice in verses 1 through 8 is an individual speaking. They're using the the phrase I, and they're proclaiming their trust in Yahweh. Then from verses 9 to 13, an audience is speaking to the individual, and they're describing God's protection and care. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, verses 14 through 16, God himself is speaking, and he's proclaiming to those people that, that he's issuing a promise to them to trust in him. When you trust in me, this is my promise to you. And this chapter contains such powerful words of promise, words of hope, words of reassurance. 
And it all boils down to, it starts in verse 1. All of these promises, all these things that God talks about through this chapter, come down to this. All of these promises are given to those who dwell. This is the hinge. This is the linchpin of this chapter. To those who dwell. The opening stanza of the chapter begins saying these words, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now, the word dwell comes from the Hebrew word yeshab, which means to sit down, to settle, and to remain. It's a place of belonging, of permanent residence. If you've been in the Hobby Lobby, you know they have the signs that say dwell. You can put in your house. It's meant to, to abide. It's a place of belonging, right? It's where your roots go down. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you feel like a nomad? You feel untethered, unconnected, like... Like you're kind of floating. And I'm not talking about in the good way, like, I'm free. I'm, ta- I'm talking like unanchored. Has anybody ever felt that? You're somewhere, but it's not home. I, I remember like my days in college. I, I had many friends in college. I had a great time and experience in college. But even though I lived there the majority of the year, I always felt this like, this isn't home. I'm like still kind of living out of a suitcase, and it's a mess like I'm living out of a suitcase, you know? My dorm room was a, a tragedy. But, uh, but there's just something about that unsettledness. Like, this isn't really where I belong. And, 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 and so we are called then to not be this, this floating and see this person that's saying, I don't know where I belong, but rather we are called to dwell in the shadow of the Most High. Because we can, when we dwell, we find peace. We can make a home in the shelter and in the shadow of the Almighty. It goes on to list promises for those who do dwell. Looking at verse 1, it says, For whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Will rest. The first thing we can really draw from this is that those who dwell in the shadow, those who rest, live a life of confidence. You see, there's, there's something, a confidence that comes, comes over those who dwell. Um, we're promised that when we dwell... We're going to rest. And how many of you know that rest, in order to rest, you have, a, have to have a sense of security? You don't feel like you're truly resting unless you feel secure. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you don't feel secure and you cannot rest? Where things feel out of your control or maybe even feel dangerous and you have a hard time resting, your mind resting, all these different things. It's hard to rest when our mind is consumed with worry. I uh, once heard it said that uh, the human body is 90% water. So we're basically just cucumbers with anxiety. You see, we can easily carry so much anxiety with us. And how can you rest when you're anxious and your heart is is, is not settled? And so we're promised here then that when we rest, that, that when we choose to abide, when we dwell in the shadow of the Most High, under the sh- and, and, under the, the wings of the Almighty, that we find rest, and and that rest is found because we can have confidence in it. You see, it's that in which we place our confidence that gives us peace. It's that in who we place our confidence that gives us peace. You see the. Who is that person? I think it's pretty clear. It's in the first two verses. It says four names of God. There are four names of God that are written. It says the Most High. It says the Almighty. It says the Lord. 
and it says God. The writer uses four different names for God, and sometimes I, I read over that, and I'm like, yeah, they're just kind of just jumping around using some different names, but I think they were very intentional in how they did this. To break it down, first of all, the one we place our trust in is the Most High, and that word in the Hebrew is Elion. And Elion means lofty, it means supreme, it means preeminent. The authority over all things, the authority over all the other authorities, the big boss, the buck ends there. How many of you ever loved it as a kid when someone told you to do something and then you were able to say, but mom said, or but dad said, because you were appealing to the higher authority, right? You don't know because this person said. To go to the highest authority, there's no one above him. He is the ultimate authority. The next word used is the Almighty, and that word is Shaddai, is an El Shaddai, which means the Almighty, All-Sufficient One. In the Latin, it's Deus Omnipotens, the God Omnipotent, All-Powerful. Omnipotent means there is nothing he cannot do. Nothing outside of his power. There's nothing he goes, oh, that one, not quite within my purveyance. Sorry about that. That we have a God that is not only above all authorities, but there's nothing outside his strength. There's not a single power greater than our God in the entire universe. And then it says, I will save the Lord. And the word Lord there is Yehovah. And this is one of my favorite ones. Do you know what Yehovah means? The self-existent one. I love that. He depends on no one for his being. Everything you see in this room, every person you see in this room, every piece of matter depends on something as its origin, as its source. But our God has no beginning and no end. He is self-existent. He depends on nothing else. He is outside of our physical realm. He is not limited by time. He's not limited by space or matter. Our God is beyond all things. And this is the shadow that we can rest under. And finally, he says, my God in whom I trust. And the word God there is Elohim. The highest, most powerful existing one. The creator, the superlative mighty God. And so he goes through this list. So this is why he's painting this picture. Because he's saying, we aren't just dwelling under the shadow of, of, of a good thought. Or under the shadow of a good government. Or, or an individual that cares about us. But this is the God that we serve. He paints all these pictures of this God that is above all and, and is self-existent, doesn't depend on anybody else for his being, doesn't depend on our thoughts and our, our cares for his being, but is above all things. He is the source. And that's why we can have this confidence. Tim Keller says this. He says, it's not, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. I've seen people have faith in a lot of things that let them down. And that some of them had a lot of faith in things that let them down. Some, some of them had a lot of faith that they were sending money to help a prince somewhere in Africa get some money out. And they were, they, they were sure that this was the real deal. And they lost a lot of money because of it because it wasn't real. Despite how much they trusted it. In the same way, the faith that we have... What's most important is the object in which we place it. Or the person in which we place it. See, we can live in confidence, not because of our education, not because of the cryptocurrency or money market that we've invested in. We don't have confidence because we depend alone on our own health and strength and because we go to the gym and exercise enough. We don't put all of this or our business acumen, all of this faith, but rather we lean on the one who is eternal. 
We rest under the shelter of the one who is self-existent. We, we abide under the shadow of the one who is without limits. This is the God that we serve. This is the one in whom we trust, in which we trust and trust our entire eternity. My soul lays with him. When this life is over, I trust the one who is eternal. I trust the one who has no limit. I will come to the end of my own means someday. There's a point where I can't come up with any better ideas, and I'm at the end of myself, but I know the one who has no limit. Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't that wonderful to know, church? Amen, amen. Moving ahead, if we look at verse 9, it says this, And if you say that the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, and no disaster will come near your tent. Those who dwell experience divine protection. It says if we make the Lord our refuge and, and, and the Most High our dwelling, no harm will overtake us. No disaster is going to come near us. There is a divine protection that is over those who put their trust in God. Back at verse 5 it says that you won't fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. The word pestilence there and plague are actually very similar to the same words, plague. And I was thinking when I read this, man, it sure feels like there was some sort of bug going around recently that was kind of a plague. Let me tell you something. It doesn't mean that we don't take things seriously, right? It's not that we don't take things seriously and that we aren't careful. But let me tell you something, church, that there will always be a pestilence. As long as creation lives under the weight of sin, as long as our world groans waiting for the restoration of all things, there's going to be a pestilence. When COVID and all its different variants and all these things are finally over and the headlines are no longer reading about it and every place you go online has some sort of statistic or warning about it, can I tell you something? Something else is going to take its place. Fear controls. The news moves by fear. Fear motivates us. Fear grips us. There's always something. But while the world may run in alarm, while, while, we may, while the world may run in fear and from thing to thing, from, from alarm to alarm, can I tell you this? There is a confidence for those who live under the shelter of the Most High. Fear does not define us. Terror does not define us. We do not live under the fear of these things because we are promised protection. We are protected from that which is seen and we are protected from that which is unseen. Verse 5 describes the terror of night and the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. These are presented as things as you can't see coming, right? It's kind of presented as a lion that, that creeps up. The things that are in your periphery that you don't expect. How many of you know that there are things that can hit us that we don't expect? There's the things we can see coming. We may see a health crisis coming up with a loved one as they age. And we know it's on the horizon and it's coming. But how many of you have ever received a phone call or a text and it was out of the blue? How many of us have ever come under an attack that just was unexpected? Maybe it could be quite literal with a car accident. Something that you did not anticipate. But there is a protection for those that wait on the Lord. A couple years ago, it was more than a couple, a few years ago, I had an errand to run down to Roseburg. Uh, for the church, and it was a common errand. I actually, I, I, I'm always running around doing stuff, and, and so uh, I didn't think much of it. 
But for some reason, as I was on my way out the door, Hosanna stopped me. And she's not one of these, woo, kind of, kind of people. But she said, just, it was, it kind of caught me off guard. She goes, Brent, I want you to be really careful. And I was like, okay. I was planning on being uncareful, but I guess I'll drive more carefully, you know? She said, no, just, I, I don't know why I've been praying for you. Something just tells me I should be praying for you. And I was like, okay. And that, that was odd because she's not someone to just kind of stop in the middle of the day and say, we need to pray. But she did. And I went down to Roseburg and did the business that I needed to do there. And I was on my way back up north on I-5 when suddenly all the cra- traffic came to a screeching halt in front of me. And I was like, what in the world just happened? I mean, it was immediate. And I was in the right lane. And on my left was a school bus. And the school bus was sitting there. And there was a car in front of me, and then in front of the school bus and the car in front of me was a, another car driven across both lanes of the highway, blocking it. And it was bizarre. I, I was like, this is, this is weird. I thought there was an accident. I thought maybe, like, the school bus had hit the, the car and, like, spun it around or something. I thought there must be an accident. But suddenly the driver of the car that was across the road hopped out and was screaming irate, just screaming, going b- bananas. I thought, man, he's really upset he got hit. You know, we got to get, you know, just exchange insurance information. Let's move forward. But he was just screaming, and I realized this is not normal. And he's screaming at the bus driver, pointing at him, yelling, screaming, and yelling, and screaming. And then he walked around to the doors of the school bus and tried to start prying them open. And I was, I was alarmed. And so I heroically got out my phone and called 911. <laughs> And I was on the phone with dispatch. I said, he's trying to get in the school bus. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to have to get out and deal with this guy. But if he gets in the doors, I've got to do something. I don't know who's in the bus or what's going on. I was like, I'm not, I was not feeling heroic, let me tell you that, church. But I was sitting there. I was explaining what was going on. He gave up on getting in the doors of the school bus, fortunately, and turned his attention to the car that was in front of me and started screaming at that person. And he jumped on the hood of that car and was screaming on the hood of that car. And he decided that the point wasn't getting across, apparently, because then he jumped off the car and removed his pants and jumped back on the car without his pants on and is screaming at the driver of the car. And the dispatcher's going, tell me what the guy's doing. I said, he's taking off his pants. (laughs) He's screaming with no pants on. His pants are in the freeway at this car, just going irate. And finally, the car in front of me said, I've had it. And as soon as he got off, they took off down the freeway. And it was just me and this guy then. But for some reason, he turned around, got in his car, and took off. And I was like, that was bizarre. That was odd. I did, not, I did not expect that, to be honest. But as I drove, as I took off down the road, I saw police cars coming from the other direction. It was, seemed to be taken, you know, I didn't want to chase the guy down, so it looked like everything was under control. I went home that night, and I was kind of perusing online, seeing if there was anything, and I found what happened. The police ended up chasing him in a high-speed car car chase down the freeway, and he veered off the freeway and drove into a canal off the side of the freeway. They were able to apprehend him, and the article said that in the car was a loaded handgun. God's divine protection, I believe, was in that moment. This man was, the, the article said, was obviously high on who knows what, but God's hand of protection, I believe, was on me in that moment, and God inspired Hosanna to pray over me for the thing unseen. For the thing that we can't predict. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So looking at verse 3, it says, Surely he will save you from the fowler snail, sna- snail <laughs> snare and from the deadly pestilence. Maybe a snail too. There's some nasty snails out there. 
Moving down to verse 14, it says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Because he loves me, I will rescue him. Those who dwell will be rescued. So we live with a a, a confidence as those who live under the shadow of the Almighty. We live with protection as those who are under the wings of the Almighty One, but also those who dwell are rescued. The word save here that's used in these verses, in verse 3, is the same word that's used for deliverance. And that is a word that means a continuing deliverance. A continuing deliverance, which is interesting. It means the Lord's salvation is ongoing. It means that how many of us in this room are glad that God saved our soul? That we, when we gave our life to Christ, our soul was saved. Amen? Amen. But can I tell you that it wasn't just a momentary thing and then God's like, well, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. There is a continuing deliverance that happens within us. He's continually saving us, restoring us, washing His grace over us. We are washed new every day. His salvation, His mercies are made new every morning, the Bible says. And so God has saved us, but there's a continuing deliverance that happens. Psalm 34, 17 says, The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help, and He rescues them from all of their troubles. What a wonderful promise that we are rescued from our troubles. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a contingency. There's the, here's the hook. There's, it's a promise, but there's a condition. I've said kind of before that context is king. We need to make sure we have context when we read scripture. And sometimes we read through this and we hold on to all those promises, but we forget that there's something else that goes along with it. In verse 11 and 12, it says, For he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. There's another place that this occurs in scripture. Did anyone catch that this happened somewhere else in the Bible? In the New Testament, this verse comes up. When Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan takes Jesus up onto the top of the temple. And the temple is very, very tall. And he says, go ahead and hop on down. Just hop on down. The Bible says that you won't even strike your your, your foot against a stone. You're you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, the angels are going to swoop in and save you, Jesus. And Jesus says this to Satan in in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is a great section of scripture, but let me tell you, there is condition to it. And when I say, don't put the Lord your God to the test, I'm not talking about those prayers where you're like, God, if you're real, I need you to prove it. That's how I kind of interpret this sometimes. God, if you're real, I need you to show me. This is different. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, did Satan not believe that God existed? Did Jesus believe that God didn't exist? They both believed God existed. I don't think they were questioning whether God could. This was a question of God's deliverance. Testing God's deliverance. and here's, So here's what we need to take into account. When Jesus quoted the scripture, he's not just speaking about situations where you say, God, I need you to prove if you're real. But he's talking about willingly placing ourselves in positions of peril or circumstances from which we need God to deliver us. A willing decision to put ourselves in a situation where we need God to snatch us out of it. If you struggle with alcoholism, You cannot place yourself in a tavern every night of the week and then say, God, why don't you rescue me from this addiction? If you struggle with your finances, you can't have a yard that's full of uh, ATVs and boats and, and all kinds of things like that, but their titles are owned by the bank 
And then you turn to God and say, where's your provision, God? I can't even make ends meet. Do you hear what I'm saying? God, you promised this. Well, are you putting God to the test? Are you putting God to the test? Are you saying, you need to snatch me out of this when you are willingly putting yourselves into a spot where you need his rescue? Sometimes we like to lay claim to the comfortable reassuring, reassuring sections of scripture without recognizing the contingency on which it sits. So this means, this is what this means. You can't be dwelling in the provision of the shadow of God while you're enjoying the pleasures of sin. You cannot dwell in two places. You can't be living near to God one day and then other days be sleeping with spiritual enemies. Your dwelling can only be one place. That was the challenging part. But those who do dwell, make the conscious decision to dwell, are promised that they will live victoriously. In verse 13, it says, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And the word serpent here, do you know what that's actually is dragon? That's actually the word used as dragon. Satan himself. We will tread on the enemy himself. We will walk in victory. But that victory doesn't come in and of ourselves. We have victory because we serve the one who has overcome. Because the one whose covering is over us, that is where we get the victory in his name. Isn't that a wonderful promise that we have victory in the name of Jesus? But it's not in and of ourselves. This last week I saw a tweet by someone uh, that's uh, in the Christian music sphere. And it devastated me. I, w- I don't know if I would necessarily call them a Christian. From what I've read from their direction, they're going with their theology. And it, 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 it just really, really hurt to read. This is what they wrote. They said, Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. We are the body of Christ. What's so problematic with this is that at its very core, it's heresy. To say anything outside of Jesus Christ himself as Lord is is heresy. Christ is defined as the anointed one, the Messiah, our Savior. And so when we put ourselves in the throne, you see, we can read this and go, it's so blatant, it's so clear, but how often do we put ourselves in the driver's seat? Say, I'm going to be my Messiah, I'm going to solve this, and we remove ourselves from the shadow of the Almighty so that we can do it ourselves. But the victory is ours because of the Almighty One, because of what He's done. See, if we are our own end, we are in trouble. Our hope can't rest in ourselves alone. Psalm 73 says that my heart and my flesh, they will fail. At some point, we aren't strong enough. Our will, our strength isn't enough, but we have the victory because of what Jesus has already done. And so this morning, I want to call to you, church, and invite you to come and dwell. Come and dwell. To dwell is an act of the will. You don't wake up one day and go, oh, I'm dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a decision. It's a decision to say, I am going to align myself with you, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to lean into you. When all I want to do is trust myself, trust the structures around me, the institutions that are around me, I choose to trust in you, God. 
I align myself with you. See, dwelling is this conscious choice that we make. We are called to live in the shadow of the Almighty. And here's the things, thing with shadows. Shadows require proximity. You can see, I don't know if you can see the stage up here, but there's a shadow where this uh, table is casting right here. You will not find this shadow over there because it's attached to the object to which it is cast. If we're to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, we need to draw near to God. We can't be far away and say, God, where's your shadow? We need to draw near to God. And I've said this before, that God is as near to you as you choose to be to him. The Bible tells us, God calls to us, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. This morning, draw near to the Father. I invite you to come away this morning. Come away to the secret place. This term, these phrases used in verse 1, actually, in some translations of the secret place, and I'm reminded of King David when he's on the run. King David most likely wrote this psalm. He's on the run from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. He's got an entire, literally, nation trying to kill him. And he'd draw away into these caves, into these secret places, these, these places of, of security and safety. And, and I'm sure this is what David was thinking as he thought about drawing away to God coming into this secret place and this morning God whispers this truth it's so strong it's so sure he says walk in my shadow draw near to my side come to me let me wrap my wings around you and protect you I want you to live in confidence knowing that I'm with you I want you to rest under my shadow I want you to know that you'll never face the full heat of the difficulties if you are under my wings this morning he shelters us from that pain his shade, his shadow diminishes what's actually felt in the intensity of all that heat of what our lives can bring. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Where are you dwelling this morning? Start to take account of the things you lean into, the things you trust, the systems, the institutions, the structures that you place before God. And perhaps you've been carrying anxiety for a long time because you don't know what you can trust, especially in our world today. If you've been trusting a political party and it's let you down, let me tell you, it will always come short. This morning, I invite you to find rest and peace. If you've been in the middle of the struggle right now, I invite you to come into the shadow of the wings. If you are in here this morning, I want to pray with you. And you're tired. Maybe you've had anxiety that has kept you up and at the early hours of the morning you find yourself lying awake looking at the ceiling. Perhaps you've felt fear just cripple you and it's hard to step out and trust God because it just holds you down and right now you say, I need to make the willing decision to draw near to the God who is my shade and my rampart. He is my shelter. 
If you're tired this morning, you want to lean into this God with the everlasting arms, the Almighty One, El Shaddai. If that's you, raise your hand high. I want to pray with you. Yeah, see those hands. Who else? Yes, yes, yes. Cross this room. Lord, right now, we are people. We are people of flesh and blood. We are weak. Our heart and our flesh one day will fail. We are limited, but we know the one who is without limit. We know the one who is infinite, without end, self-existent. And right now, we lean into your everlasting arms. For those that have carried anxiety, Lord, we cast our cares upon you because you care so deeply for us. And as we give you our cares, we pray that you would lift us up on wings of eagles that we could not do ourselves. And Lord, that you would be our shelter and our shade, the secret place we can run to. Lord, I pray for those that have been tired. God, I pray that we would make real and practical applications of making you our first and foremost person to run to. The source of our strength, the source of our hope. We trust you, Jesus. For those that have let fear creep in and cripple, Lord, I pray that you would set free. Father, I thank you for your presence that's with us. God, I thank you that you cover us from behind and in front of us and to our sides. Thank you that you're here in this place and that our future is secure because of what you've done. That we have nothing to fear with tomorrow because you're already in tomorrow and you hold tomorrow in your hand. So right now, God, we pray for victory, the victory that is promised for those that trust in you. As we seek after you for every victory and salvation is found in you and you alone, oh God. And so this morning we realign, recalibrate, and set our hearts on you, Jesus. And we thank you for the promises that are yours, that are made ours in your name. Amen. 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 God is good. Are you so glad that we have the victory in Jesus' name? We have victory, church. What an awesome promise. What an awesome promise. Praise God. Praise God. Here's what we're going to do together right now. We're going to do our connection cards, and here's what I'd like you to do. If you raised your hand, or maybe there's something that's been on your heart, weighing your heart, would you write down on your connection card what we can be praying with you for? I mean this. I mean this. This is truly, we, we do this. We send out a prayer list every week that goes to prayer warriors that will be lifting you particularly up. Not just abroad, God, I pray for the church kind of thing. We will pray for you. Every Wednesday morning, our elders at 6 a.m. get on a phone call, and we have a phone call where we lift up and pray for you. We pray that God would see these things through for victory in your life. So if there's something you've been carrying, if there's something where the enemy has had a foothold, let us know what we can be praying for your victory in. We will be lifting you up. If this is your first time with us, let me just say again what Hosanna said. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. If you don't have a place you call home that's your church family, welcome home. Be planted. Get connected. We'd love to have you be a part of our church community here. If, if, uh, if you would let us know on that connection card this is your first time, we'll do a couple things. First of all, we'll just say thank you. We won't show up unannounced at your door or anything like that. And we, uh, we will send you a thank you, but we're also going to make a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One that goes into some of the neediest parts of the world and it brings the hope of Jesus and it meets felt needs. So uh, we're going to sponsor a child on your behalf for a week. Give them the food, clean water, and an education just as a way of saying thank you for being with us and, and uh, we hope that this is the first step of many in ministry together with you going forward. 
Thank you for filling those out. Right now, what we're going to do, if you're doing a paper connection card, which are in the seat backs, you can drop in the offering plate as it comes by in a moment. We're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Ushers, thank you for being so ready to go. Our tithes and offerings are an act of obedience. This is... uh, This isn't just altruism, like, oh, I'm feeling generous. This is actually obedience to God. He says, bring into the storehouse what is mine. And right now we are bringing in in obedience what is God's, saying, God, I trust you with this because it's yours and that you'll see me through for what I need tomorrow. So let's let's give with joy. Let's give with thanksgiving and obedience and and thankful hearts, all right? Lord, we thank you so much that we get to give in whatever form we give. Whether it be online, whether it be in an envelope, whatever it is, it's all sacrifices of worship because we give as a way of saying we love you and we also trust you. So Lord, we pray that you would take this, multiply it, that we would see your kingdom grow, that hope would just explode across this world, that hope would explode across Springfield and Eugene as we bring the good news of Jesus out, as we bring this wonder camp to our community for children to hear the good news of Jesus, for families to hear the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that it would be something that burns within us, that we would want to see the lost, hear the hope of the world that we carry within us, that we would be water bearers to a dry and thirsty world. We thank you, Jesus. In your mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give with joy this morning. Stay standing with me, church, if you would. Will you raise your hands out right now? I want to pray a blessing over you. This is a blessing that Moses told Aaron to pray over the Israelites as they went. And I want to pray the same blessing over you as you go. And it says this, May the Lord bless you, and may he protect you. May the Lord smile on you, and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor, and may he give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Go with God this morning. Have a wonderful day in your life, church.